The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Providing insight and resources for your spiritual journey. Unity Online Radio. Today's episode is sponsored by Bright Peak Financial, a non-for-profit membership organization providing Christians with the right products, tools, and resources to gain financial strength. Go to brightpeakfinancial.com to create your financial success story. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here's your host, Victoria Moran. Hey everybody, welcome to the Main Street Vegan Show. You are getting me on a day when I am just flying high because we graduated our 16th Main Street Vegan Academy class just a couple of hours ago. I'm just back from our fabulous graduation luncheon at Candle Cafe West, so congratulations to those new graduates. And I'm very excited to see what happens as you go out and set the world on fire in every good way. After the break today, we are having one of your favorites, Ask the Dietitian. Now, a lot of you have already asked. You've sent in your questions via email and Twitter and all those other ways. Uh, and if you have a question right now, you happen to be listening live, uh, Brenda will be on in about 15 minutes or so. So just give us a call, 816-347-5519, and get your very own nutri- nutrition conundrum solved. And right now, we are going to solve your, oh my gosh, it's summer, I'm looking for something really good to read conundrum. Well, it will be a conundrum no longer, because our first guest is Robin Lamont. She is the author of the Kinship series. You can read The Chain or The Trap. And I do hear that there is another wonderful animal rights-themed suspense novel in the works. Robin Lamont is a novelist and animal advocate dedicated to shining a light on the plight of animals through the power of stories. Her goal is to reach mainstream fiction readers by putting them in the shoes of a passionate and complex animal cruelty investigator. Robin has a eclectic career background as a Broadway actress who segged her way into working as a private investigator in New York City, much of that work undercover. She then became an attorney and assistant district attorney in Westchester County. So she has all of these experiences to draw on in writing books that you honestly, seriously cannot put down. It's like a snack that's full of fat and salt. You just cannot put it down. Welcome. Robin Lamont. 
Well, thank you so much. It's great to be chatting with you. Well, it's wonderful to finally have you on the show. I know we've talked about this for a long time, and we finally got it to to work. So tell us, why suspense novels? Well, I've always loved the mystery and suspense genre. Even as a kid, I was addicted to the Nancy Drew mysteries. Um, And maybe that's partially what drove me into becoming an undercover private investigator and then a criminal prosecutor. But um, when I left the DA's office, I began writing what seemed to me the most natural thing in the world, which was suspense novels. So what is the kinship? I had written a couple of uh, novels previously, both of which had a real social justice component. Um, And several years ago, when I became aware of what was happening to animals, um, it sort of spurred this thought that maybe it was time to create a new character in mainstream fiction. I mean, I thought in suspense and, and mystery genre, there's absolutely no shortage of private investigators, detectives, and lawyers seeking justice for people. Well, how about for animals? I love it. <laughs> oh, that, that's exciting, especially because we have been working for lo these many years uh, on a feature film about a cow who escapes from a slaughterhouse, and the human advocate is a female attorney who does just this sort of thing, not undercover, but you know, working for animals. So let's get those people, whether uh, actual people or created people who are sometimes more real than uh, anybody who's ever lived, out there into the world. So your, your books are called The Kinship Series. The website is The Kinship Series. Um, and your, um, well, your different places, different names on other social uh, media. So we'll talk about that later. And we'll also put that on the um, show notes for the Main Street Vegan program. So let's start at the very beginning, your very first book with an animal rights theme, The Chain. What's that about? Well, The Chain is a story of um, the investigator in the series. Her name is Jude Brannick, and she's a very complex, somewhat troubled uh, young woman who's really driven by her sense of injustice to animals. And she is summoned in the chain down to a slaughterhouse town where a whistleblower who works at the slaughterhouse wants to turn over a very incriminating video that is going to possibly bring down the CEO of this big pork corporation. When she gets down there, she finds that he is dead, and the video he made has disappeared. So that's how it starts out. Ooh, that's so cool. Because, you know, I haven't really read suspense novels since I was a kid. I I never got into Nancy Drew. Maybe I wasn't sophisticated enough. I read these kind of awful ones that I think you could get at that time for 59 cents called the Trixie Belden Uh, (laughs) mysteries. But, wow, you know, this this is a genre I could see getting back into, thanks to you. So for a book like that, what kind of research did you do? Did you go to slaughterhouses? I actually tried to get into a couple. Uh, Not surprisingly, I was not welcome there. Um, But I did get to spend a weekend with one of my heroes in the animal advocacy world, Gail Eisnitz. Oh, my. author of Slaughterhouse. Indeed, it was her book that really inspired me to write The Chain. Um, I mean, she was a real pioneer in the animal advocacy movement. And her book, Slaughterhouse, was not just about the horrible conditions for animals inside a meatpacking plant, but Gail was able to get all of the workers there to open up to her about how they needed to shut down their emotions uh, at work and their inability to turn that on and off when they came home to their families. 
I'm so glad that you said that, and also that in your novel, The Chain, the whistleblower did come from within the slaughterhouse, because I think sometimes it's so easy for those of us who care about animals, those of us who choose to live as vegans, to just write those people off as doing something terrible, and they should just go get another job, when if they could, they would. We had a a wonderful new uh, instructor today at Main Street Vegan Academy, Christopher Sebastian McJetters, who's an expert on the intersectionality of various oppressions of many human groups and also of animals. And he was talking about a particular kind of PTSD that slaughterhouse workers get because the the illness that derives from that is having seen all of the suffering and all of this death and know that it was done at, at your own hands. It, it's a terrible, terrible kind of work that anyone is uh, forced into by circumstance. Yeah, I, I think so too. And and I was particularly moved by some of the workers who had opened up to Gail and tried to recreate them in the chain. I mean, these men and women who economically have no other choice, there's no other place for them to work, many of them immigrants to this country, and they are trapped, in essence, by a job that damages them physically, emotionally, and spiritually. This is so true, and it brings a whole other dimension to the ill that we perpetrate in the world whenever we partake of these products. I know this um, instructor showed us an article from Canada that was saying that Canada, which is a fairly small country population-wise, is is short at least a 1,000 slaughterhouse workers, and they can't get any Canadians to do it. So they had the idea that they would offer these jobs to Syrian refugees, Mm. but many of them could only take it for two hours. And and the option of abject poverty was better than having to spend eight hours a day in a slaughterhouse. Oh, my goodness. So there are lots of different kinds of uh, animal abuse in the world. Uh, Probably, in fact, certainly statistically, most of it is in the food industry. But um, there's more going on. So you've got a second book, The Trap. It has a focus. Where does that take us? Yes, well, in this novel, Jude... Brannick does go undercover out to Idaho, where a federal trapper has been found murdered, of course. Uh, but this time he's been caught in his own leg hole trap. Uh, oh. And uh, she goes undercover to try to figure out uh, what's going on and who's being blamed and who's not being blamed. And she encounters... Um, Wildlife Services, which is, in fact, um, a real agency, uh, part of the USDA, that, um, amongst other things, does predator control out west on behest of uh, the ranchers. Um, So uh, the more I learned about Wildlife Services, uh, the more I could see that it was one of these Goliaths, um, for which David or Jude Brannock needed to take on. Oh, that's perfect. And so many people who consider themselves wildlife advocates don't make the connection between the, the meat that they eat, that they just get at the store, and, and what happens to wildlife. So that's, that sounds like a great novel, too. I need a long trip. I need an airplane. <laughs> Yeah. So I can sit down and write it, read a novel. So why do you think that that a story like this is going to resonate? What do you do to be sure that it does? Well, for me as as a writer, the very first thing that I have to think about is my story. Um, and there's great expectations in a suspense thriller story um, that people expect. They generally expect a lot of suspense, not knowing what is going to happen. And for me, that's part of, I mean, I love to write them, but that's part of what I think is crucial in drawing people into the world of animals. Um, 
I have read a lot and studied a lot about how powerful stories are. And they are incredibly powerful. Marketing professionals have been using story for years to help not only draw people in, but to get them to change their perspective without them knowing it. Well, that's amazing. Now, I am hearing drilling, and my apologies to you, Robin, and to all listeners. I have been going to a remote location all summer to uh, avoid the drilling in the background while I do the show, and unfortunately... I don't seem to be avoiding it today, so my apologies for that. So, um, Robin, one last question. What's coming up? What are you working on now? I'm working on uh, the third book in the series called The Experiment. And this one, uh, while it involves animal testing, um, it also takes on uh, the biopharmaceutical industry. In this case, a small startup, but I was looking for the medium in which to show where my animals were being tested. And I came across something that I didn't even know existed. I still find hard to believe it exists, but it's called biofarmed crops. Uh, Are you aware of? No, uh, I've not heard of those. It's an industry that is growing, and what it is, it's genetically modified crops, um, modified to grow drugs. Oh, my goodness. Vaccines, antibodies, um, and various other substances, including chemical agents. Um, most, Most drugs are grown in a laboratory in a bacterial or mammal culture, but many drugs are consist of proteins, and plants are proteins. Wow. They are being genetically modified to grow drugs. Wow, that sounds like a book. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Robin Lamont, go to her website, the Kinship kinshipseries.com on Facebook she is Robin Lamont that's L-A-M-O-N-T hyphen author on Twitter she's animal underscore suspense check her out we'll put all that on the Main Street Vegan show notes at MainStreetVegan.net thank you so much Robin and everybody stay tuned for Ask the Dietitian well thank you very much Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach to the world. We count on the support of listeners like you. Please make your donation today. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. So there I was, staring at a closet overflowing with clothes, practically bursting at the seams in their polyester prison. I had ten minutes left to get dressed, and the stress was kicking in. Are turtlenecks still a thing? What about rhinestones? Where did I get this? Oh, my leggings from 1987. Ah, the scarves are attacking me. Sound familiar? Declutter your life and your closet with the Simple Living Challenge. It's a free 14-day challenge with powerful daily assignments to help you find more balance, freedom, and joy in life. Just go to SimpleLivingChallenge.com to sign up. Ooh, a cowboy hat. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet? 
and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. God is formless, yet takes many forms. What goes around comes around. Chant the name of the Lord and be free. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ever been confused by the variety and apparent contradiction within world religions? Join Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday for insight into those principles held in common by all the great religious traditions in world spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions. Using discussions, interviews, humor, insight, and practice, Practical advice, we will clarify the confusion and reveal simple yet profound truths. Call in with your questions and ideas and help break down the barriers that separate us from one another. That's World Spirituality with Paul John Roach, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. At Metaphysical Romp 2, we demystify metaphysics to help you live life at a deeper level. One of our key principles is the recognition that you always have the power to choose how you respond to any situation. Instead of asking, why did this happen to me? A better practice, which aligns with the metaphysical principles we share, is to ask yourself the question, how can I use this for good? We promise you'll experience a transformation in thinking that will reap huge dividends as you master the art of living metaphysically. For new perspective and spiritual insight, listen to Metaphysical Romp 2 with co-hosts Rev. Paul Hasselbeck, Rev. Bill Holton, and Rev. Cher Holton. Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time here on Unity Online Radio. If I were brave, I'd walk the razor's edge Where fools and dreamers dare to tread And never lose faith How is life working for you? Would it be okay with you if life got easier, simpler, yet more meaningful and vibrant? Join certified life coach Carla McClellan Tuesday afternoons for Vibrant Living. Each week, Coach Carla and her guests will share strategies and solutions designed to make your life more vibrant. Is there something in your life you'd like help with? A dream you'd like to achieve? A relationship you'd like to improve? Call into the show toll-free for Coaching with Carla. That's Vibrant Living, Life Coaching with Carla, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Central on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What if we're all meant to do what we secretly dream? listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Main Street Vegan Show. I apologize for that extra long break. I hope you took it to do some breathing and meditation. I wish I had been breathing and meditating, but instead (laughs) I was trying to move to a quieter part of the building. I hope that that succeeded. But you know what? Whether it did or not, we're going to be talking with someone who is not only exceedingly knowledgeable about food and nutrition, 
but she is just a calming influence all round. Thank goodness Brenda Davis is my guest. Brenda Davis, registered dietitian, co-author of nine vegetarian and vegan nutrition classics with over 750,000 copies in print in nine languages. Brenda has been a featured speaker at international nutrition, medical, and health conferences in over a dozen countries. She is the lead dietitian in the Diabetes Intervention Project in Mahuro Marshall Islands and past chair of the Vegetarian Nutrition Dietetic Practice Group of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. Welcome, Brenda Davis. Oh, thank you so much, Victoria. It's such a pleasure to be here, and I'm so sorry for the challenges you were facing today. I hope it will be all clear sailing with not too much noise from here on in. (laughs) You are very kind to say so, and I guess we'll have bricks that can breathe after October. (laughs) I don't even know what that means. It's just supposed to be good. So you were back in the Marshall Islands this winter. What is going on there? Well, for those that aren't familiar with the Marshall Islands, they're, they're islands that are sort of halfway between Hawaii and Australia. And uh, there are only about 60,000 people there. There are two um, islands that hold most of the of the population. One is as Majuro and the other is Ibai. And both have very small land areas. Uh, Majuro is about 3.7 square miles and uh, Ibai is about 0.14 of a square mile. And uh, Majuro has about 30,000 people, Ibai about, about 15,000, believe it or not. So in uh, on those islands, um, it, it, they have among the highest rates of diabetes in the world and uh, and very high death rates from diabetes half the surgeries there are amputations due to diabetes so it's a very very serious situation and for those that aren't aware uh, they are also in tremendous jeopardy as a uh, Global warming continues and sea rise, um, the sea levels rise. They are at great risk for uh, basically going under. So there, there are lots of issues there. The people of the Marshall Islands in 2006, we started doing, um, diabetes intervention research, doing lifestyle intervention compared to kind of usual care. And since that time, we've been going back to do interventions for a variety of, of groups to try to help people to, um, to make fair, fairly drastic lifestyle changes. And what we found over the years is that, um, is that while people are doing lifestyle change and, and, and adopt uh, the sort of program that we provide them, uh, they do extraordinarily well. Um, two years ago in 2014, we, we, um, uh, did a couple of interventions both in Madro and, and in, uh, Ebi, and we saw blood glucose drops of over about 120 points, uh, milligrams per deciliter on average in Madro and about 50 milligrams per deciliter in, in Ebi. The problem is, is that, is that, it's really challenging for people to stick with these changes on their own and the reasons are simple one is that it's a um, they they have a real community there and everybody shares everything including all of their food and you know 50 60 70 years ago people in these countries didn't really experience um uh, any significant rates of diabetes. It was a disease that was pretty much unheard of. And that's because people were living off the land. So they were eating plants and they were eating fish and that was it. Uh, there were no processed foods. And today they live on processed foods. As a matter of fact, the, um, you know, one of the favorite snacks of children is ramen noodles. These are the dry, crispy, fried noodles with Kool-Aid powder sprinkled on top. Uh, so it's, it's, it, you know, it's, it's just you really couldn't design a diet to induce diabetes better than the diet that the people here have adopted. Now, last, uh, in, um, uh, 2000, 
uh, February of 2016, we went back again and did an, an intervention for the people of Bikini. And Bikini Island um, is the location that the atomic bomb testing was done after the Second World War. And, um, and we did an intervention with some of the leaders of Bikini Island. And we saw average blood glucose drops of over 60 milligrams per deciliter, but we had at least um, a third to a half of the patients who had drops of over 100 milligrams per deciliter. So it's it's very encouraging to wow, see that. Wow, that's it, impressive. Yeah. Um, but, but again, we still have work to do because our, our real work is shifting, helping the culture to shift what is sort of usual practices there. And, 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 and nothing will really permanently change until that changes. And so we're, we're in the schools trying to educate the children. We're in the churches trying to educate the parishioners. We're in, you know, the, the restaurants and the stores trying to get, to get more, more healthful options available. And the other thing we're doing, because one of the biggest challenges is with so little land, uh, we're helping people to grow food in earth boxes because produce is really quite expensive there. And so we've brought in hundreds of earth boxes to try to help people initiate some, you know, some some growing of of produce. One one of the other questions that Victoria had was about um, the paleo folks being so against grains and legumes, and so she she had asked me if if there really is any evidence at all to support the claims against these foods. And and so in answering this question, I would say that there there's really plenty of evidence against refined grains. Um, probably ninety percent of the grains North Americans consume are refined. However, um, there is very little, if any, evidence against whole grains, and virtually no evidence that I have ever been able to find against legumes. In fact, um, if we look at um, whole grains. Uh, we have many, many studies showing that they reduce mortality, obesity, chronic disease risk. And uh, in terms of legumes, they're probably among the most healthy foods that we can actually con- consume. They're very strongly associated with disease risk reduction and longevity. In fact, there was one very interesting study that looked at um, people 70 plus years of age and in the group that they looked at, the only statistically significant food indicator of longevity was actually legume intake. And and what's interesting is for every two-thirds of an ounce of legumes, there was a 7 to 8% reduction in mortality risk. So, um, And two-thirds of an ounce is actually less than two tablespoons. If you do the math... Eating a cup of beans a day would basically provide you a hundred percent risk reduction in mortality, and you'd live forever. So, <laughs> I mean, which is which? I'm I'm joking, but it 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 legumes have very consistently been shown to be protective. And the other thing that's interesting to look at is the blue zones. In the blue zones, uh, there are two um, uh, factors that are associated with the increased longevity and. And of course, the blue zones being places in the world where people live extraordinarily long and healthy lives. And uh, the two uh, common denominators are every single blue zone eats a plant-based diet and every single blue zone uh, consumes legumes. So that, you know, the concern about legumes and grains both, I think paleo folks believe that that uh, the anti-nutrients that they contain makes them unhealthy. But I think they're really ignoring the fact that many of these anti-nutrients are reduced or destroyed by typical food preparation techniques. The lectins in beans, for example, are destroyed in about 15 minutes of cooking. And some anti-nutrients are actually protective, especially if you're consuming them in moderate amounts. So I think that those are the main points to remember. What we know is whole grains and legumes are highly protective to human health. Um, Do we have Victoria back yet? (laughs) I don't think so. Are, Are you there? Okay, so shall I just continue? 
Okay. Uh, the One of the other questions that Victoria had is, um, has saturated fat been vindicated? And, and the answer is absolutely positively not. Uh, the clinical trials are really very clear. Saturated fat increases LDL cholesterol and does have a negative impact on cardiometabolic risk or on cardiovascular disease risk. What we actually know is if we replace saturated fats with trans fatty acids, we increase our heart disease risk. If we replace saturated fats with refined carbohydrates, it provides us with absolutely no health advantage. So if you're replacing saturated fats with, you know, white flour and sugar products, um, you are at no, you know, you're not helping yourself at all. Uh, however, if you replace saturated fats with polyunsaturated fats from nuts and seeds and, and um, uh, these kinds of foods, uh, you will receive a significant cardiovascular disease reduction. And if you replace saturated fat with unrefined carbohydrate um, or monounsaturated fats, that will also provide a health advantage. So so I, I think the you know the bottom line is that um, saturated fat is it has has not been vindicated and in fact it's interesting um there there were really a couple of studies that that suggested that um that saturated fats were vindicated and and there were a lot of errors and omissions in these studies in fact uh Walter Willett who's one of the most highly respected epidemiologists epidemiologists in the world um, it basically said the meta-analysis, the last meta-analysis the 2014 Chowdhury meta-analysis contained multiple errors and omissions and the conclusions were seriously misleading and should be completely uh, disregarded but what's really interesting is I contacted one of the key authors on the Chowdhury trial and um, she basically said that, that the first time they they sent the paper in um for you know to try to get it published um it was turned down so the the lead author actually reworked some of the data and um and got different results sent it back in and and then the um the paper was um was accepted and she basically that this co-author said i think the best available evidence shows that saturated fat intakes affect blood cholesterol levels um, which are a very important risk factor for heart disease. Um, and she, she goes on to say, therefore, current guidelines, which recommend f- no more than 5 to 6% of calories uh, from saturated fat, uh, should, should basically um, uh, be followed. So I think that's, you know, that's, that's important for people to understand that, that the leading authorities have not changed their recommendations on saturated fat intake, uh, one iota. Um, absolutely fascinating, Brenda, because I did a coconut oil experiment on myself. Okay. I'm not oil-free, and so I just substituted what olive or canola oil I had been using with coconut oil for six months, and my cholesterol went up uh, 47 points. So I switched back to just the way I had always been living before, and it was back down to a nice vegan 152. So... Certainly in somebody's, certainly in my body, uh, it's not a good thing. No, so isn't good that interesting? Science agrees with my body. <laughs> it absolutely does. There's no question at all. Clinical trials really have shown very, very clearly that saturated fat increases uh, cholesterol levels, and cholesterol levels increase risk of, of heart disease. So we know that it's it's not debatable. And one of the interesting things about these studies is that, especially the Chowdhury trial, they were really comparing people that were eating, you know, twelve percent of calories from saturated fat versus people eating fourteen percent of calories from saturated fat. They were they were comparing um, sort of like 
people within a population who were all eating way too much saturated fat. But when we compare the studies, for example, the the studies in Chowdhury that showed the lowest rates of heart disease in Japan, for example, the the saturated fat intakes were minuscule in comparison to the those populations eating um, the highest amounts of saturated fat. But they didn't compare within popu- um, uh, between populations. They compared within populations. And, uh, and so that was part of the, the you know, s- s- sort of part of the flaws of these studies. Mm, fascinating. When people still, though, and I mean, I get it all the time, and I would imagine that in your professional capacity you do too, people still think that we're lacking certain nutrients. And I don't know where we were in our chain of technical difficulties when I wanted to ask you about some of these nutrients that bodybuilders and athletes are, are looking for. So some very nice people, a vegan company, sent me a sample of a product for bodybuilders that includes certain amino acids and some other substances such as carnitine and choline, and they cited a study that vegan diets tended to be deficient in these. So are we deficient or are other people getting too much? Well, um, it's a really interesting um, interesting uh, question. And, and so first of all, I think people need to know we've looked at um, a number of, uh, uh, you know, sort of supplements for vegans uh, where sort of bodybuilding uh, uh, is concerned. And, and probably the only supplement that is really shown to be especially useful um, is is creatine, um, not so much choline and carnitine. Now, what you need to know about choline and carnitine is is that choline is actually a, a B, you know, a B vitamin, and it is it is found in in plant foods. But the most concentrated sources are animal products. In within the sort of the plant food world, uh, things like soy milk, tofu, any soy-based foods, uh, other legumes, peanuts, uh, peanut butter, and then quinoa, broccoli, and some types of mushrooms are, are really quite quite rich sources. And of course, there's some in, all, in almost all foods, nuts and seeds and fruits and vegetables and so forth. But these are particularly rich sources. They're not, however, as concentrated as eggs or meat or some of the plant, uh, the animal based foods. So people who are eating um, a vegetarian diet, do we do tend to get less choline, but not necessarily in sufficient quantities. And so I think people that are concerned about it can just simply be consuming a little bit more soy milk, tofu, beans, uh, you know, peanuts, these kinds of foods. Um, if if they're still concerned, they could take us a, a small supplement of choline, but I, I wouldn't recommend, you know, taking a lot. Um, and then carnitine is a whole different story. You see, carnitine is um, is an amino acid that um, uh, that that we um, make in our bodies. We we uh, produce sufficient. Most people produce actually sufficient carnitine. It's not something that we have to consume. Uh, so it, it's not a, an issue. It's true that vegans. Uh, vegan diets are deficient in carnitine uh, because plants don't contain a lot of carnitine. Most carnitine comes from animal foods, um, but but we're not deficient because carnitine isn't an essential amino acid. It's it's um, it's it, it you know it's something that we we can produce. It's a non-essential. So so that's really not. I don't think a very a very huge issue. Creatine may be a little bit little bit bigger of an issue. We make creatine as well, um, but athletes and especially you know uh, athletes building muscles may may need a little bit more than what we would naturally make. Now the interesting thing is with with carnitine and choline both is in meat eaters if they're eating a lot of especially carnitine um, they have bacteria in their intestines that turns the carnitine into something called TMA. This is uh, trimethylamine. And this TMA get, 
gets sent to your liver and it gets converted to something called TMAO, which is highly atherogenic. It increases plaque formation in our blood vessels. What's really interesting is vegans don't host the type of bacteria that make TMA. So, so even if you took a carnitine supplement and you're vegan, you're not going to make TMA, a TMA out of the carnitine because you don't have these nasty bacteria in your intestines. Only people eating, you know, flesh, um, end up hosting that kind of bacteria. That is absolutely fascinating, and and I see that I, I misspoke on the nice people, and I'm just going to say who they are because they did contact me, and um, I love to uh, let people know about vegan businesses. Their product is called Rare Myo, M-Y-O, like muscle, and I was wrong. It does not contain choline. It actually, creatine is the most uh, thing in here, and it's also got oh, okay. B12, some carnitine, a coenzyme Q10, and L-tor. So if anybody out there is a bodybuilder and wants to look at this, you can check that out. I'll put that in the show notes as well. It, it sounds folks who sent that. Yeah, it actually sounds like a, a reasonable mix for for people who are you know serious uh, bodybuilders. Now here's something else, though, Brenda. That that I mean, a lot of people hear this at the gym. Speaking of bodybuilders, and you're a bodybuilder. Well, you're not a big bodybuilder, but you're certainly <laughs> someone who works with weights and looks fabulous, and that is bone broth, the superfood bone broth. What are we supposed <laughs> to do when people tell us about that? Oh, my goodness. It's one of those things I, I, you know, I was hearing so much about it and seeing so much about it on the internet. Um, I thought I would, you know, basically people claim that bone broth heals everything from leaky gut to arthritis to, you know, cellulite to whatever. Um, and, and so I decided to do a search on PubMed and this is, you know, your, your sort of medical literature search. And, and the first PubMed search I did, I searched bone broth and health. And there were all kinds of articles. Um, uh, and, and the, the, there were 12 that were really specifically to do with bone broth and health. Um, and, and, oh no, sorry. The, the first PubMed search, there was nothing on the health effects of bone broth. It was all, you know, sort of bone broth being used in as uh, on a petri dish or whatever it had nothing to do with human health the second one i put in bone broth and risks and i got 10 articles only one was relevant to human health and that article uh, was I'll, I'll tell you the title the risk of lead contamination in bone broths <laughs> in bone broth diets sorry and basically what they did was they used organic chicken broth and what they found was that the uh, chicken broths they were using had extremely high lead concentration, so high that they recommended doctors and nutritionists take the risk of lead contamination into consideration when advising patients about bone broth diets. So I know that a lot of claims are made, but I came up with nothing other than the risk of lead contamination when I did um, literature searches for articles on bone broth and health. So this means nobody has ever looked into it, and the only reason that lay sources are saying that it's so great is because somebody decided to say that. I I believe so, and I think that they they may be selling it. I, I'm not sure. I I can think of nothing else. Um, but um, but there really are. I can't find any any decent research that would suggest any potential advantages. Only one very significant disadvantage. And and quite disadvantageous to the chickens or. Whoever else bones we're using. You know, Jeff, if we had any callers um, because of the technical problems, I'm not looking at a screen, so I don't know if someone is hanging on the phone. So if they are, please give us a uh, an auditory cue so that we can tend to somebody's question. So overall, Brenda, with all the people saying you're missing this nutrient and you ought to be having bone broth and you shouldn't be having grains and legumes, 
can we just say, well, that's ridiculous because we're vegan and we're healthier than you? Are we? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, we didn't know for sure for a while. We, you know, we, do, we know now. Um, uh, we have two, what's really interesting, and I love this research, we have two research teams, one in the UK and one in the, in, in North America, both the United States and Canada, that have actually been following fairly significant groups of individuals over many years. And, and these groups of individuals are similar health conscious, um, people who consume sort of different types of diets. So uh, some are are um, non-vegetarian or meat eaters, some are semi-vegetarian, some are fish eaters, some are lacto-ovo vegetarians, and some are vegans. And we followed them for, for um, you know, significant periods of time and now we're we're actually seeing reports on the relative risks of obesity and heart disease and cancer and diabetes and all sorts of things and and what we what we found is basically um the two studies are epic oxford which is about 65,000 individuals and the and the um the uh, north american study is is the adventist health study 2 which is about 96 thousand individuals and what we're seeing is 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 that people who consume vegan diets have um significantly less heart disease, cancer, diabetes, uh cataracts, hypertension, uh, you know, uh kidney disease and and the list really goes on. Uh and and the numbers are are very significant. So for example with heart disease, both vegetarians and vegans have about a 30% less heart disease. They have uh vegans have about 16 to 19% less cancer. They have um the vegans had 75% less hypertension, about 62% uh, less diabetes. Um, so they, these are not small numbers. Um, uh, kidney disease is about half that of non-vegetarians. And this is not comparing to the general population. This is comparing to similar health-conscious non-vegetarians, controlling for body weight, controlling for education and smoking and alcohol intake and all of these potentially confounding variables. So these are really significant findings. And in fact, in 2015, um, we just saw the results of, of these studies looking uh, particularly at blacks in North America. And compared to similar health-conscious non-vegetarian blacks, the vegetarians were about 44% less likely to have hypertension, 52% less likely to have diabetes, 58% less likely to have uh, high cholesterol, 46% less likely to have high LDL. So it just, it goes on and on. And, and so it's true for for the whole spectrum of of individuals and and we 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 have the data now so we know for sure that that people who are eating plant-based diets are at a significantly lower risk of chronic disease than um you know similar health conscious non-vegetarians that is so exciting because I think that in recent years as there have been more vegan convenience foods and, and processed foods that resemble animal foods, I was worrying that we were going to lose our edge. But it looks as if we still have an edge, quite quite a substantial one. We do. And what's really interesting is to me is is that the populations we're looking at, at both Epic Oxford and Adventist Health Study 2, these are both populations that use these sort of veggie versions of, of meat products. So they use veggie meats. They use a lot of soy milk and, and, and these, you know, processed foods. And they still do that much better. Imagine if they were eating whole food plant-based diets. <laughs> I can barely imagine. <laughs> it's exciting. Brenda, in our last two minutes, people always want to know, because we look up to you. I just saw you at Vegetarian Summerfest where you were absolutely stunning. You told a beautiful personal story. Actually, that personal story you also shared uh, with me in my latest book, The Good Karma Diet. So anybody who has that book can read it there, Brenda's story of uh, going a vegetarian after meeting with a hunter. Um, but 
when you walked out on stage, everybody gasped. I don't know if you were aware of that. It's because you look so darn good. So we want to know, in, in the last two minutes, what do you eat? Oh, okay. Um, well, I, you know, I basically consume a, a pretty much whole, whole food plant-based diet. Um, my use of, of sugars and oils and all of those more processed foods is, is pretty limited. And, and I'm not, I, I'm not a purist. I'm not, I, I, I wouldn't say I never eat those things because I do eat those things sometimes, but basically my day-to-day diet is, is a fairly, uh, whole food plant-based diet. So I would begin my day with, um, you know, with, a, a, I call it a breakfast bowl, really. And my breakfast bowl is sprouted grains and some cooked grains like oats and a lot of fruits. So, so, um, blueberries and peaches and, you know, whatever in season fruits we have. And sometimes in winter stewed fruits that I've frozen, I freeze quite, quite a lot of berries in the, in the summertime. And, uh, and then with that, I would have, um, in my bowl, I would have something creamy. So it's either, um, an unsweetened yogurt or a chia pudding or a cashew pear cream, cause I like that creaminess. And then my, uh, I might put some homemade dehydrated granola, uh, a mix of seeds. So flax seeds, hemp seeds, uh, chia seeds, and a little bit of nuts like walnuts and, and Brazil nuts. And then I would top that off with uh, some sort of milk, like an almond hemp seed milk. I sometimes make them myself. I sometimes purchase almond milk and puree in some hemp seeds to get the protein up a little bit and the nutrients up as well. And and then uh, lunch or dinner, I always have one giant salad a day. So and it's a full meal salad. So it would have several different types of dark greens. Uh, I try to get the whole color rainbow spectrum of veggies. So something from every blue, purple, and red, and orange, and so forth. And then I would have some sort of carbohydrate. So it could be steamed butternut squash, or quinoa, or yams. Uh, some protein. So it would be uh, tofu, or beans, or you know, something like that. And then I usually do a tahini dressing, but my I do a cashew dressing and a variety of other nuts. Or seed-based dressings, and then my other. (laughs) Okay, quick, quick, because we're over time. Okay, and then my other meal would just be either a hot meal or a raw, you know, cold meal, and and usually it's something like a dragon bowl or stuffed collard wraps or you know a stir fry or something like that. We can all live with that and and live very, very well. Brenda Davis, thank you so much. Jeff Comfort at Unity Online Radio. Bless you for putting up with difficulties. Everybody else, join us next week. We're talking with the good folks at the Barefoot Vegan Sanctuary, Barefoot Vegan Magazine, and Christina Loughhead, who got a tremendous amount of press for doing what you've always wanted to do, save a lobster from the grocery store. God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. Spirit of Recovery is the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth. Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., interviews down-to-earth guests who share with you how they keep going and growing in recovery. Spirit of Recovery is the place to get practical tips and join in lively discussions on topics that matter to recovering people. This program welcomes everyone who wants to know more about recovery. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time on Spirit of Recovery, where we talk about what keeps you growing. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
If you or someone you love has ever failed at anything, remember, accomplishments are often built on successful failures. Our greatest heroes have survived setbacks and losses of some kind. What makes them heroic is their capacity to have compassion for themselves, to know when to reach out for help, and to always, always start again. We learn to do something by first believing and then by doing it. In Unity, we celebrate the spiritual gift of strength given to us by our Creator. There is an unlimited amount of strength and courage available to you now. Trust it and expand your life. The result will be positive changes in you and the world around you. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.